Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. We have a little Thursday Night Football we'll talk about, uh, but mostly today might be a little bit of a shorter episode. We're going to talk a bunch about the MLB awards. Um, no week recap of football or anything like that. Giants were on a bye week. Uh, they come back this Monday now for Monday Night Football against the Buccaneers. Should be a good game. I think the Bucs are favored by like 11 and a half. I would pick the Giants to cover if I was a gambling man. Maybe not to win, but to cover that for sure. Uh, so MLB Awards, Thursday Night Football. We'll get into that uh, right now, honestly. We'll, we'll keep it short because I know usually weird Friday episode. Um, I also want to talk about the new Spider-Man trailer, which was electric. I think that came out on Tuesday. Uh, I know not a usual Wednesday upload, but we're going to do Friday this week. Um, and then next week, going to take off because it's Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Eve, all that good stuff. Uh, so we'll take next week off and then be back uh, the first week of December, which would be, so take the 24th off. So December 1st, actually. So December 1st is going to be when we come back after this episode. Uh, but let's dive right into it. Thursday night football. Mac Jones kind of lit it up. The Patriots shut out Matt Ryan only the second time in his career, I believe they said on the broadcast last night, that Matt Ryan has been shut out. Uh, he is now, I believe, 0-4 or 0-5 against the New England Patriots. That's including the Super Bowl, I believe. So has not been able to defeat Bill Belichick in a game, Matt Ryan. And he, uh, he looked awful. The Patriots defense, if you had him in fantasy last night, they scored 25-plus points in fantasy. I think I play full PPR. So tw I think 28 points the Patriots ended with last night. Insane. Uh, they dominated the Falcons offense, who could just do a whole lot of nothing. Um, they were missing Corderell Patterson. He was out this game, so they had kind of like a platoon of Mike Davis, Wayne Gallman, and uh, this, this other third stringer that they probably brought up from the practice squad. No Calvin Ridley, who of course has continued to stay away from football to get his mind right. I, For what it's worth, I think he's done for the season. I don't know if they've officially announced that yet, uh, or if he's announced it yet, but... I don't see him ever coming back for this season, probably not till next season, if he decides at all to continue to play football. Uh, so Kyle Pitts was pretty much the only offensive option, and the Patriots made sure that they didn't really give him a whole lot of opportunities. Um, the Falcons made it inside the red zone a couple times. Their best chance to score, they had a third and one and couldn't get the yard on two downs. They couldn't get it on third and one and couldn't get it on fourth and one. Turnover on downs, they come away with no points. I think Youngway Koo missed a field goal early in the game that could have got them three. So they had a couple opportunities to, to, to kick a couple field goals. Uh, they didn't get it. it. It was just, it was tough. It was tough to see. And that is, now the Falcons have went three straight quarters without scoring. A without scoring. Not even just scoring a touchdown. Without scoring. Um, I think dating back to that Cowboys game on Sunday, just two really tough games in the same week just to get 
absolutely throttled by your opponent. And, you know, the Patriots putting up 25 points is not as bad as the Cowboys putting up like 40 plus, whatever it was. But at the same time, you didn't score any points. Uh, you, you have not scored a point in seven consecutive quarters. And just having that from a Sunday to a Thursday, you don't even get the full week, you know, just a, a couple days. And just to go out there and get your shit pushed in by the Patriots, man. I don't know. Matt Ryan, man, he, he, if the last couple weeks are any indication. It, it, and it's bizarre, too, because he played really well. The Falcons played really well against the Saints. Now, I understand that's Trevor Simeon, which is like you do take that with a grain of salt. As, as commendable as Trevor Simeon's act, like, actions and play have been, where it's like you you tip your cap to him and he has he's kept the Saints in game. He's even he's even won a, a few games as the Saints starter. Um, it's it's still Trevor Simeon. He's not like gonna light you up, right? But the Falcons, that Saints defense is still really formidable. They have Alvin Kamara, right? So the Falcons playing well and Matt Ryan playing really well and beating the Saints in the Superdome. That was an impressive win. And then you just come out the next two games and just lifeless, a lifeless, lifeless team, it looks like. Matt Ryan, it, it just, though these two past, past two games have made me really look at Matt Ryan and say, I, I think it might be time to hang it up, buddy. You know, I, I just don't, it just doesn't seem like he is a quarterback Regardless of what this team has, like, granted, you're not a super talented team. Corderell Patterson is super talented. He's having probably his best year as a pro, uh, I would assume, just because he, he's being used all over the place as a receiver, as a running back, and heavily. Like, he is a, probably their best playmaker. Uh, him and Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is going to be a weapon. There's no doubt about that. But Matt Ryan right now, it just... You know, these, these quarterbacks are getting into their twilight years, man. I saw it happen with Eli. We're seeing it now happen with Big Ben. Uh, Matt Ryan, throw him in that category now. Officially, I think it's safe to say he's lingering, right? Like, if this isn't his last year, next year will be, for sure. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe, unless he had already decided and hasn't said anything about it, to people that this is going to be his last year he'll probably be like yeah next year will be my last if this year goes south like the way it is right now uh but just a tough loss for the falcons coming off that ass beating from the cowboys on the other end though you have the patriots who are now seven and four mac jones is easily easily the best rookie quarterback in this class so far uh, I'm not saying what this holds for like the future or anything like that, but he is definitely right now out of the rookies who are playing football, the best out of all of them. Uh, and it's not even close. So Mac Jones, man, it, he, what an interesting story he's been. And here's the thing. Mac Jones, if you take Mac Jones and Zach Wilson, and switch places with them. 
the results are the same, regardless of who's on the Patriots. I, I truly believe that. If the Patriots wanted to get Zach Wilson, if the Patriots hypothetically ended up with Zach Wilson, he would probably be the best rookie quarterback in this class. Uh, and if the Jets ended up with Mac Jones, he probably wouldn't be doing shit. He would probably be getting his ass kicked. Uh, it, it's not... When, when the talent differentiation between these quarterbacks really isn't a lot, um, you know, to be fair, coming out of the draft, or coming into the draft, Trevor Lawrence was considered like a godsend, right? He was a no-doubt, gonna-hit kind of prospect. And so far this year, he has certainly had his struggles. Uh, I think he is struggling a bit still to catch up to the speed of the NFL. Um, but I, I think he has a bright future still. Um, he, you know, he has all the makings of, a, of an NFL quarterback. He just needs to kind of get a little more well-adjusted and, and a little smarter when it comes to the NFL. Uh, things are, just aren't coming as naturally as they did in Clemson, which happens. Uh, Zach Wilson, obviously, he probably has the best arm out of all those quarterbacks in that draft. And he had his moments, but still uh, playing with the Jets, you know, that is uh, on top of having to adjust to the NFL out of college. um, You are also now on a horrendous team and the Jaguars aren't any better to be fair. So, that's tough. Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance stinks. But, you know, I, I might be jumping the gun on that a little too soon. But I personally think Trey Lance is horrible. Uh, and I think Jimmy G is by far and away the best option for the San Francisco 49ers to be successful. Uh, and you can yell and scream that Trey Lance is the future and he needs to play, blah, blah, blah. Um, Right now, I think he's hurt, so that's besides the point. But even if he was healthy, fully healthy, I think Garoppolo is, is the better option. I think Trey Lance is, is bad, personally. Uh, Justin Fields, I think Justin Fields is good, but he is being hindered by Matt Nagy. I think Matt Nagy is not the coach you need to have Justin Fields flourish. Um, he just does not know how to play to the strength of Justin Fields. I just don't think he has it in him as a head coach. I really don't. So I would like to see Matt Nagy gone and have a coach who is, it does not necessarily be like a younger coach, but like a coach that is open to a play style that better suits Justin Fields. You know, a guy who's more comfortable running RPOs. Like Matt Nagy is a guy who his quarterback's in the pocket and he has a more traditional style quarterback. Justin Fields is not a traditional style of quarterback. And a lot of the quarterbacks nowadays are not traditional style of quarterbacks. They are young, athletic. They can run and use their legs. Very little, very, not very few quarterbacks nowadays come in and they're like, yeah, I am just a traditional pocket passer. Um, Trevor Lawrence even, like, he's a pocket passer, yeah, but he's still very athletic and is mobile and can get out and can move and get out the pocket and use his legs as a weapon. Right? Mac Jones, he's a little mobile, but he's easily 
probably the most traditional pocket quarterback that was in the draft. Maybe that's why he slipped so low. Um, but clearly, Bill Belichick called Nick Saban and liked what Saban had to tell him. And he took him in the first round of this draft, and it's worked out. Uh, Mac Jones has done nothing but improve this season. He has led the Patriots to a 7-4 season. He may not be the flashiest quarterback, but he is a guy that is exactly what Bill Belichick likes and needs in his quarterback. And he got him. Uh, Tyron Matthew went on Twitter, the, the chief safety, all pro safety, went on Twitter and said, you know, you, he's not the flashiest guy, but he, the kid can play quarterback. Uh, I'll pull up his tweet right here. He said, Mac Jones wasn't trendy enough for y'all at first, huh? Now y'all love him. Man, y'all funny. Day in and day out, y'all should be on Comedy Central. And Dan Orlovsky, the uh, ESPN analyst who I don't like, um, said, yup. And then Tyron Matthew responded, he don't throw sidearm or run fast, so people knocked him. Dude can play QB, period. So, I mean, that's all pro. Tyron Matthew saying that. Praising Mac Jones. And he was, he's, he's right in a way, you know. Uh, I think a weird thing with Mac Jones, Mac Jones happened where coming into the draft, he kind of got a little too hyped. And uh, there were a lot of mock drafts projecting him to go pretty high. Uh, and then he started to slip and people started taking all these other position players. And you're like, oh my God, where's Mac Jones going to go? Is he going to fall to the bottom of the draft? And then the Patriots got there, and you kind of had that feeling that he was going to end up there. Uh, and he did. They took him with their draft pick, and it's, it's worked out. Now, again, a strong discrepancy to realize here is that where all those other quarterbacks that got taken higher in the draft, the franchises that they landed in were way, way, way worse before and after the draft. Mac Jones landed in a spot with the best coach in the NFL with a incredible defense that added pieces like Jalen Mills and Matthew Judon, who have been insane. They signed Hunter Henry. They signed Johnu uh, Smith, who Johnu Smith, honestly, might be their worst signing um, because Hunter Henry is a beast. Like, they only really need Hunter Henry. Uh, Kyle Van Noy came back. Like, they have Damian Harris, who has emerged as a very good running back. And even, you know, Brandon Bolden and uh, Ramondre Stevenson have contributed pretty well in the pass and run game as well. So they have a good, solid backfield of running backs led by Damian Harris. They have an amazing defense, solid offensive line. They just got Trent Brown back. Um, and Mac Jones has just been able to, to do what he does. Uh, he, he's, he's done what he did in Alabama, you know, accurate passes. I think he's, he might be top five in the league in, in, uh, completion percentage, which a lot of people knocked him for early in the season. Cause he was like the check down King, but now he's starting to throw the ball downfield a little bit. Uh, he's getting, he's getting some, uh, bigger chunks in his plays and the Patriots offense has just been clicking a lot more. You know, and their defense, like I said, has been phenomenal. So Bill Belichick as your head coach. And then Josh McDaniels, who I feel like a lot of people sleep on. But Josh McDaniels is one of the best offensive coordinators in all of football. Uh, not a very good head coach. 
He's had his stints. Not a very good head coach, but an elite offensive coordinator. And the Patriots are now 7-4 and four after one mediocre year with Cam Newton as their quarterback, kind of trying to make their way. They finished, what, around 500, just below 500. They get Mac Jones, and now here they are, 7-4, and four, uh, with, I think they have the second wildcard spot right now in the AFC. They play, I think, the Titans next week, which is going to be a huge test for them. Um, again, they're 7-4, Titans are 8-2, and two, and then they get, the week after that, Monday Night Football against the Bills, the first matchup they get against the Bills. Uh, so they have a pretty tough schedule for the next four weeks. Uh, they play the Titans. The Bills, the Colts, and then the Bills again. And then they end the season against the Jags and the Dolphins. Um, so a, a big test here for the Patriots coming up. If they're the real deal or are they not up to standard with the other elite teams in the AFC? Because they're coming off a lot of good wins here. Or a couple of impressive wins, I should say. The slaughtering of the Browns and then the beatdown of the Falcons. But these next two weeks are going to be huge for them. All right, MLB Awards. Let's get into it. Uh, Manager of the year. So in a surprise, at least for me, for the American League Manager of the Year, it was Kevin Cash. Now, I'm only surprised about this because... There has never been, at least dating back till to 1983, which is what MLB.com, that's the first I can scroll back, is 1983, uh, which I assume that's when the award started. Um, there's never been a back-to-back manager of the year. There have been multiple managers that have won multiple manager of the year. But the only person to win back-to-back is Kevin Cash. And that surprises me uh, for a few reasons. Um, The other two uh, managers that were up for manager of the year were Scott Cervais, the Seattle Mariners manager, which he led the Mariners to a 90-72 and record, their best record by far in years. They did end up missing the playoffs, unfortunately, but they were right there to the very end. Um, And then Dusty Baker for the Astros. Now. Obviously, playoffs don't play a factor. At least I don't, I mean, they have it here. One AL pennant loss in World Series. But playoffs don't usually mean um, they don't get accounted for. Or they're not supposed to be accounted for when voting for these kind of things. So my pick probably would have been I mean, if I'm being unbiased, it would be probably Dusty Baker. I would, honestly, I'm surprised Cash won. I thought he'd be in third. Like, I would put both of those guys ahead of Kevin Cash. Again, the precedent of winning back-to-back manager of the years, it just doesn't happen. Uh, It's never happened. So he's the first guy to win back-to-back managers of the year, which is like, his team wasn't that much better. Than it was last year. Yes, they lost Tyler Glasnow really early in the year, which is a huge, you know, that's a huge negative for them as a team. And to overcome that is certainly commendable. But 
it just didn't, I don't know. It, it just doesn't feel like he, he should have won. Like, Kevin Cash is the guy who wins the back-to-back -back manager of the year for the first time ever. Really? His team wasn't, again, his team didn't improve that much. Um, and if you're looking at it in, in that light, Scott Surveys should have won it because he led the Mariners to a 1972 playoff. Again, they didn't win. Uh, they didn't win their division. They didn't win a wild card spot. They missed the playoffs entirely. But they were uh, incredible. Like all season, they made an incredible push down the stretch to try and get into that last playoff spot. But the teams ahead of them were just slightly better. Um, and even Dusty Baker, I would have I would have put ahead. 95 and 67, he led the Astros to. They won the AL West again. And this was a guy who got hired after the sign-stealing scandal, uh, thrown into a tough circumstance, and he led the team to a good record. He led them all the way to a ALCS and then back to the World Series the next year. He's the oldest manager in the game. Um, and he was given a tough task and I mean, he may do like Dusty Baker is a great manager, man. So I, I am surprised that Kevin Cash was the guy to, to come away with this award. Truthfully, the one I'm not surprised about the NL manager of the year, not surprised at all that it is Gabe Kapler for the San Francisco giants. I mean, by far and away, the easy favorite for NL manager of the year. The Giants come into this year expected to be the third best team in their division, probably miss the playoffs, and they win a whopping MLB best 107 games. They win the NL West. Uh, unfortunately, they lose to the Dodgers in the playoffs, so they don't get to the World Series or anything like that. But again, playoffs doesn't matter. I'm just talking in general. Um, but, you know. They were expected to be behind the Dodgers, behind the Padres, and, and floating in that middle area, maybe compete for a wild card spot. And they come in and just, they never fell off. Like they got off to a hot start and they just never stopped. And this team was incredible from start to finish. They were battling the Dodgers all year and came out on top of the NL West. Again, they ended up losing to the Dodgers in the playoffs. But. An incredible regular season for the, the Giants. I, I want to say maybe the most wins they've ever had in franchise history. And unlike the AL, where there's never been a back-to-back -back AL manager, manager of the year, um, there has been a back-to-back. -back, one time, there was a back-to-back -back NL manager of the year, and it was Bobby Cox in 04-05 with Atlanta. So that it's been done before in the NL just once. Uh but in the AL first time with Kevin Cash. Again, not surprised by this pick with uh Gabe Kapler, obvious choice in this regard. AL manager of the year, I probably wouldn't have voted for Kevin Cash, but maybe that's why I don't get a vote. Rookies of the year. The AL rookie of the year. Truthfully, I forgot this guy was a rookie. Technically, he had his rookie status. Uh but just because he played so well last year, and into the playoffs, he lit up the playoffs for the Rays. Randy Arozarena, a name that everyone knew coming into this season. Um, he had an incredible playoff run going into the World Series last year. And I had just forgotten that he was technically a rookie. He's a bit older, I think, Randy Arozarena. Like, he's not some 
super young hotshot player that's bursting onto the scene, right? He's He's been around. He was with the Cardinals organization. Yeah, he's 26 years old. So he would, I mean, if he was younger, he had started playing years ago. This would technically be, I guess, the prime of his career, which you could still consider to be the prime of his career. But eligibility-wise, he was a rookie this year. So he was probably the favorite to win AL Rookie of the Year coming into this year. And he ended up, di- he ended up winning it uh, anyway. Uh, the other guy I think that probably should have, if, if anything, he should have gotten it. Uh, Adelis Garcia, the outfielder for the Rangers, he had an incredible year. Um, and then there was also another Garcia, Luis Garcia, a pitcher for the Astros. Um, those were the guys that kind of led the way in AL Rookie of the Year voting. But at the end, Randy Rosarina pulls it out. He was the favorite, like I said, probably going into this year, and he ends up winning it. And then my pick, which I'm glad I got this right, Jonathan India for the Cincinnati Reds NL Rookie of the Year. Kid's a stud. Uh, just a guy who played multiple positions. He was, I think, well beyond what they were expecting him to contribute offensively. Uh, he led all major league rookies in on-base percentage, doubles, walks, runs scored, games played, and had an OPS of 835. Um, so he, he, was, he was a stud. And on top of all of that, he's a, a plus defender. He's a, he's a very good second baseman. I think he, even, he played third base at Florida, and I think they drafted him as a third baseman and probably just converted him to a second baseman, which, I mean, for someone like him, not that difficult. Uh, he was actually probably... He's usually... If you look at him, it's like, all right, well, he's a middle infielder. For him to be playing third base as they, as they drafted him was a bit peculiar. But Jonathan India, I think, was the runaway NL Rookie of the Year. Trevor Rogers probably would have been... I think he came in second, and he would have been my second choice as well. Uh, the pitcher for the Marlins. He had an outstanding year for them. Shout out to the Marlins, though. They got a lot of really good, young, talented players on that roster right now. Um, and, and they're becoming a, I think they're going to become a very popular place soon and a team that's going to be competing very, very, very soon. Cy Young Award winners. Uh, I don't think there was really any doubt here. Uh, Garrett Cole in the AL didn't have, if I'm talking from my perspective, he didn't have a good end of the year. He just didn't. I think any shot he had of winning the Cy Young went away. It came and went with his poor outings in September. So Robbie Ray for the Toronto Blue Jays wins the AL Cy Young Award. Uh, I think he's only that's only the fourth time a Blue Jays pitcher has won the Cy Young Award. Um, Roger Clemens, I think, did it twice. So he joins. It's the fifth Blue Jays pitcher to win a Cy Young Award, or the fifth time. Pat Henchin. I think I said his name right, back in 1996, Roger Clemens in 1997 and 1998, Roy Halladay in 03, and now Robbie Ray in 2021. So, you know, that, that it, was, it was pretty, I think, after September, it was pretty much wrapped up that Robbie Ray, Robbie Ray was going to win the Cy Young Award for the American League. Um, as for the National League, I think this was pretty cut and dry as well. The other two candidates had really good seasons, but just, I I think it was from, literally from the summer, I think most people had this guy pegged to win the NL Cy Young Award. 
Uh, Corbin Burns for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, he beats out Zach Wheeler, who I was shocked to see in the top three. I did not realize how good of a year he was having. Uh, so Zach Wheeler and Max Scherzer, who again, Max Scherzer is like, he's kind of like LeBron in the sense that he can put up like these crazy numbers and just like, no one's going to bat an eye because it's just what he does, you know? So Max Scherzer had a crazy year, but Corbin Burns, I think was the, uh, not, he wasn't a unanimous pick, but I think it was, it was pretty obvious, at least to me that he was going to be the guy to take home this trophy. Guy was an absolute stud all year, so I'm not surprised that. Uh, at least I'm happy. You know, I, I was afraid that maybe Scherzer would sneak in there and collect another Cy Young award, but I'm glad they gave it to Corbin Burns because he certainly deserved it. Um, finally, MVPs for the National League. Bryce Harper collects his second MVP trophy, beating out Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. So. The Phillies, they have the National League MVP and a guy who finished in top three in Cy Young voting this year, and they missed the playoffs. It's mind-blowing. It really, really is. Um, it just, it's second year in a row, too. They have, like, all this talent. They just, like, don't win enough. Like, it's crazy. Uh, Harper slash 309, 429, and 615 with 35 home runs, 84 RBIs, and an MLB best 179 OPS plus. So, he is now the fourth active player with multiple MVPs. And it's shocking that there's only four. And two of them are kind of old. Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera, Mike Trout, and Bryce Harper are the only active players in the MLB with multiple MVPs. So that's a pretty impressive list, considering within the next year year or two, um assuming no one who has won an uh, MVP already wins an MVP again. These guys, Mike Trout and Bryce Harper, are going to be the only ones to have won an MVP multiple times. Uh, so I, I thought that was pretty insane. As for the AL MVP, it was a unanimous pick. Shohei Otani for the Angels ended up winning the MVP award. Um, <laughs> I, I might be a little salty, but I think I probably would have went with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But Otani, I get like that that pitching, what he does with the pitching, and and being like a serviceable starting pitcher, like it's it's it puts him over the top, man. And it's just, I, do I ever think he's ever gonna win another MVP? No, I don't think he'll ever probably he'll he probably will never win another MVP. Um, and that's probably because it's gonna be hard for him to stay healthy. What did I say in the beginning of the year on this podcast? I said Otani needs to stay healthy. And I said the Angels need to make a decision. Have him hit in the lineup every day or just be a starting pitcher. Like, they had to axe one of the two because he couldn't stay healthy. And what happened this year? He stayed healthy. He did. He happened to do both. He proved me wrong on that front. He did both. And he did both really well. And it got him, a, it got him an MVP. Did it win the Angels any more games? I don't know. I, I don't know because the Angels stink. So. <laughs> Like, they didn't have Trout for the entire year. Rendon was hurt a bunch. It, it just, it wasn't good. It wasn't a good year for the Angels. They went out and signed Noah Syndergaard, by the way, for a one million, for a, a one-year deal worth $21 million. He rejected the Mets' qualifying offer. So, they're trying to bolster their pitching staff here. Um, we'll see how they do next year. But, it, yeah, I mean, Otani's only the 11th 
unanimous AL MVP uh, in the history of baseball. Hank Greenberg in 1935, Al Rosen in 1953, Mickey Mantle in 56, Frank Robinson in 66, Denny McLean is the only name I don't know on here. In 68, Reggie Jackson in 73, Canseco in 88, Frank Thomas in 93, Griffey in 97, Trout in 2014, and now Shohei Otani. So the last two unanimous AL MVPs have both been Angels, and they have nothing to show for it in terms of like championships or even playoff appearances. I think Mike Trout has played in like one playoff series his entire career. It's it's pathetic. Um, but that's another rant for another day. Shohei Otani. Unanimous MVP. Congratulations to him. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. finishes in a strong second place. Um, not the last time I think we'll see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. up there in terms of uh, AL MVP rankings or MVP in general. Who knows if he goes to the NL at some point. Um, but yeah, he, he, was, he had a phenomenal year, Guerrero. And I think if Otani was just strictly a hitter, Guerrero would have blown him out of the water. He might have been a unanimous MVP, but the fact that he does the pitching on top of it and he can throw like 100 miles an hour and throw these nasty sliders and pitch relative, like he, effectively, you know, it's not like he's an ace number one starter, but he is a guy that he had a 3.18 ERA. 156 strikeouts. That's that's pretty that's pretty fucking good. Uh so his 46 home runs were good for third in the entire MLB. Uh he had eight triples, which was tied for the league lead, 26 stolen bases, 100 RBIs. Like I said, if he was just strictly a hitter, he would be sensational. Uh and the fact that he does the above average pitching is, you know, that, that gets him, that gets him the, the MVP. So that is your MLB awards wrapped up. Um, not much news on the Yankee front. They did hire Luis Rojas as their new third base coach. So he goes from the Mets to the Yankees and the Mets also hire their new GM. Uh, he's an ex- Angels GM. Billy Epler. Um, he is going to get, or he got a four-year deal for the Mets. Um, so he's their new GM. It's like their sixth GM in the past 15 years or whatever the hell it is, which is insanity. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's kind of else that's all the other news there on the the baseball front. It's going to be slow. Um, I haven't been talking much basketball on the podcast and the season's been off for like a month. And uh, yeah, I think basketball is going to get ramped up here on the pod, basketball and football pretty much for the next few months. Um, And we'll mix in maybe a couple of college football too. We got college football playoffs coming up and uh, some college basketball maybe also. Well, you know, we'll spice it up. We'll see how we do. Um, last quick thing, Spider-Man trailer. If you haven't seen it, the new Spider-Man trailer, go watch it. It's fucking sick. Um, they did pretty much everything but confirm that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are in the movie. So I am super excited about that. The nostalgia is going to be 
unbelievable. Um, I'm probably going to cry at some point. So <laughs> I'm super excited for that. December 17th, I got it marked. Got it marked on the calendar, baby. Um, so I'm super happy for that. Uh, week 11, Giants playing the Bucks on Monday night. And the Jets are going against the Dolphins. You got Bills Colts in the 1 o'clock slot. That should be pretty good. Uh, Packers Vikings in the 1 o'clock slot. Bengals Raiders, honestly, should be a pretty good game in the 4 o'clock slot. The 425 games, two of them. Cowboys Chiefs, Cardinals Seahawks, both should be good. Nightcap is Steelers Chargers. So some good late, the, the late slot games, the four late, uh, late slot games are all interesting matchups uh, and should be very good games. And then, of course, again, Monday night is the Giants and Buccaneers. So that'll do it for this episode. From my point of view, thank you all for listening. Remember, next week, we got the late episode this week, but next week, no episode at all. Have a safe Thanksgiving Eve, a fun one, and have a nice Thanksgiving with uh, your families and all that. So no podcast next week. We'll be back December 1st. So thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all in December. December.